Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. The shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, has sparked a national debate about guns and how best to protect students. This week is the first of two shows focused on mass shootings at schools. How can we protect our children? Joining us today will be the North Carolina Teacher of the Year, a school psychologist and trainer, and two high school students who have been organizing around this issue. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Policy debates in response to the Florida shooting continue to rage across the country. President Trump raised eyebrows last week during a televised meeting with legislative leaders when he suggested firearms should be confiscated from potentially dangerous people, saying, let's take the guns first, then worry about due process later. Now, his aides quickly walked it back, and our own North Carolina Senator Tom Tillis said, I know you heard the words, I just don't believe in my heart of hearts that's exactly what he meant. Now, here in North Carolina, legislative leaders stood alongside Rockingham County Sheriff Sam Page, pictured here, who wants to take advantage of a law passed by the General Assembly in 2013 to recruit community volunteers to work as armed school resource officers to provide additional protection at our schools. With all the talk about increased security, North Carolina Public Schools actually reported fewer overall incidences of crime and violence during the 2016-2017 school year compared to the previous year. This according to a new report from the Department of Public Instruction. This continues a long-term decline in number of offenses. The report also shows a decline in short and long-term suspensions. Finally, the dysfunction between the State Board of Education and the State Superintendent was on display yet again last week after DPI's CFO presented the State Board's budget priorities. Superintendent Mark Johnson said he could not endorse the list because he had never seen them before, which seemed to surprise both staff and the board. Historically, the State Board and the State Superintendent collaborate on budget recommendations. Many observers are hopeful that the North Carolina Supreme Court will provide some clarity in this ongoing power struggle by summer. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org and read more about each of these headlines as well as the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're focusing on the recent school shootings in Florida and the debate has sparked nationally and here in North Carolina about how best to protect our children. Joining us first, we have Lisa Godwin. Lisa is the North Carolina Teacher of the Year and has been on the show with us before, so thanks for coming back. Thank you for having and me. And next to her is Dr. Jim Denny. Dr. Denny is a school psychologist by training and is a trainer now, also a professor at Appalachian State University. So thank you both for being thank here. You. Now, Lisa, I want to start with you. Almost immediately after the shooting in Florida, the idea of arming teachers came up. It first came up in Florida, then the president, and then here in North Carolina. What was your reaction when you first heard that idea? Well, I'm all for arming teachers, but not with guns. Uh, I'm for arming teachers with resources, with training, um, with the mental health and uh, social needs supports that, that we need in our classrooms and in our schools. And that needs to be taking place full time, not sharing social workers and counselors and psychologists from school to school, but having somebody on site full time 
um, the statistics show that um, 1 to 250 is the supported ratio for guidance counselors and social workers, but in North Carolina it was 1 to 355. And with psychologists, the ratio should be 1 to 500. And in North Carolina last year, it was 1 to 1,829. She's making your, she's <laughs> ma making your case for you, Jim. So <laughs> this is the thing, you know, that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Our students and our families need support. We need to be proactive instead of reactive. Right. Now, but let me, let me, you are, as a teacher of the year, but you are a classroom teacher. I mean, you're yes. taking the year off traveling. You're a kindergarten teacher. I am. Um, and you talk to other teachers. I mean, what are they, what have they, I'm, I'm sure this is a topic of conversation. It mm -hmm. has to be. What are, what are they saying about just the whole idea of, of, of giving them a gun and asking them to do this, to play this role in school? There's a lot of mixed emotions, Keith. Um, I think that we all view our classrooms as sanctuaries and places where we, um, support peace and love and, and tolerance. And so I feel like we are under uh, this, this thought process that if we allow guns to come into our classroom, then we're condoning uh, the outside world and the violence that's taking place outside, and we're allowing it to infiltrate our schools. We need to stand up and say, no, we're not going to allow that inside our building. We're going to continue to let this be a place of learning, uh, not a fortress. Um, now, I do think that SROs on the perimeters uh, are, are great ideas for all schools, not just high schools and middle schools, sure. but elementary schools as well. Yeah, and we're going to, next week on the show, we're going to talk about a lot of the different policies. Mm -hmm. I want to shift over to you, Dr. Denny. Mental illness, mental health always seems to come up when we talk about mass shootings. There, there's a part of me that gets a little frankly uncomfortable because it, there are so many Americans, so many humans that suffer from mental illness that aren't mass shooters. But as a psychologist and a mental health provider, I mean, do you, are there things that we need to be looking at with students? I mean, many of these school shootings are in fact carried out by current students, former students. So what should we be doing? Well, you know, I, I think as Lisa said, we need to put more resources in schools. Statistically, one in, one in five you know, students in North Carolina annually have a need for either mental health, behavioral, or substance abuse services. And in order to do that, you know, we're, we're going to have to have a comprehensive model, you know, which includes, you know, um, full staffing of instructional staff, which would include psychologists, you know, nurses, social workers, and counselors, and, and have more of a comprehensive approach. I think the focus is more on guns and not access to resources to help support students who have mental health and, and um, behavioral and so substance abuse. So in your view, it's not either or, it's like yes and, let's look in, and, yes. and from a mental illness perspective. Now, and, and Lisa gave some good stats, and I don't remember the, the first one she mentioned, but I know I saw from the, you were the past president of the North Carolina School Psychologist Association. They released some information. We have 740 school psychologists serving 1.6 million children. That's one for every 2,162 students. There are 12 districts that have no one um, full-time on staff. This is a problem. Mm -hmm. Correct. And we, we, as of last year, we had about 65, you know, school psych vacancies, you know, and, and our ratio is, you know, right now about, you know, 1 to 2,100 students. So three times, you know, what the recommended national ratio is 
for school psychologists, which means that you know when we're looking at teachers, counselors, all support staff, basically we're, we're understaffed in caseloads. If you have a caseload of one to 2,100, um, you know, it's, it's literally impossible, right. you know, to provide comprehensive services to children. Well, how, let me ask you, you're a kindergarten teacher, how early do we need to be looking at, um, um, you know, evaluating, uh, supporting students? Well, all the research, you know, whether you talk about academics, behavioral, mental health services, focuses on early intervention and prevention. You know, you, we, we need to like front load all of our resources early. I mean, whether you're looking at reading or whether you're looking at, you know, early intervention in mental health or behavioral health or substance abuse, it's really important that you focus on early intervention. As early as I said, I guess I totally if we got about agree. a minute left, I'm gonna give it to you. Yeah. I guess you would say amen as a I, kindergarten I teacher. I do, I do say amen. And and I think that this school shooting is just shining a light on what is prevalent in our schools every day. Right. We have mental health issues, behavioral issues that uh, take place in our classrooms on a daily basis. And so the support systems need to be there full time before it reaches the point where a school shooting takes place. Right, well, I mean, I think that's, that's what we wanna do. Um, and so we're gonna continue to explore this. We have a couple of students that are gonna join us in the next part, but thank you both for your insights and expertise. We appreciate it. Now, when we come back, we are going to be joined by two high school students who are speaking up and organizing other students in their community. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. The shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, was the ninth deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. What is the deadliest on record? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer the Harvest Music Festival in Las Vegas? 58 people died in that October 2017 mass shooting at an outdoor concert. Now here's a grim statistic for you. Three of the top five mass shootings have happened in the last 18 months. Now we're gonna continue our discussion about mass shootings and how best to protect our children. And we've got a video I wanna show you first uh, about some of the activity that's been going on here in the Triangle. Take a look. At precisely noon Wednesday, the curriculum at Greenhope High School took a different pathway, one that led the students out of the confines of their classroom to the football field. This learning experience was about effecting change for safer schools and eliminating gun violence. All across this country. Young people want to be heard in the debate over guns because they say oftentimes they are the targets in a growing number of mass shootings. Demonstrators say assault rifles and large capacity magazines are meant for the battlefield, not the streets. And they believe more can be done to keep weapons out of the hands of people who would use them for mass murder. So there you saw, actually you saw one of our guests uh, being fierce on stage. Let me introduce you to who we have here today. We have uh, Aaron McIndoe. Aaron is a student uh, at Green Hope High School in Cary. That was the, the large uh, protest that you saw on the screen. And then we have Zainab 
and Tepley. Zainab is a, are you both juniors? Yes. Both, okay, so as a junior at Chapel Hill High School in Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. So thank you both for being here. Now, um, I want to ask you, the students from Marjorie Stoneland um, High School, and, and frankly, the students just like the, you two, have kept this issue in the news. I mean, this is actually um, unusual. Um, that we've unfortunately it's become so common that uh, that kind of goes away. So, um, why did you decide? I'm going to start with you first, um, Aaron. Why did you decide to speak up now? Why did you get involved? Um, I think we decided to speak up now. Uh, I was just telling Zainal before we started that our school um, has, like you said, two girls from Stoneman Douglas who went there as freshmen and uh, the morning, the Monday or Tuesday after uh, the mass shooting in Parkland, they came to our classroom along with a girl um, named Reagan who wrote an editorial and a couple representatives from student council. And we all came in and they answered some questions and we facilitated this really good discussion in our Falcon Newsweek class, which is our uh, school's newspaper. Mm -hmm. And we facilitated this really good discussion and by the end of it we knew that we wanted to do something. And we knew that we were a big enough school that um, kids at our school wanted to make a change and so we uh, organized the walkout that we had last Wednesday and 2,000 students. 2,000 students came out. Um, we had some elected officials, the girls from Stoneman Douglas um, spoke, I read a poem that I wrote. We had 2,000 students come out in March and um, ask for change and I think uh, we just wanted to do it so our voices were heard. And um, Zainab, you were out we saw you on the screen. Yes. That was actually, I think, the first, that was just a couple of days or a few days after the yes, shooting, right? It was. The one that, that from, from Pullen Baptist here. Yes. Um, what motivated you to, to come over from Chapel Hill to get involved in this? Well, I've been kind of around this issue a lot as well in the past, so um, I've had lots of strong feelings and passionate feelings about this issue. And uh, to be honest, a lot of the students from Florida inspired me. So when I saw them on TV get up and say that this is not okay, that we need change, it really inspired me and motivated me to also do the same. And that if we can have a student solidarity throughout the nation where we as students who are mainly impacted by these kinds of heinous crimes that speak up and say, we need change, then that's really inspirational. Well, it, it's, it, it is inspirational. And now, let me, I'm sure both of you watched the town hall that got a lot of attention. Senator Marco Rubio, one of the Florida senators, and the students and, and some parents really confronted him and talked to him about some of his positions now. And then afterwards, Senator Rubio, he actually tweeted, that's sort of the thing we do now for statements. But he, he, he said that um, our culture celebrates arrogance and boasting and that we apparently have infected the next generation with the same disease of arrogance and um, disrespect. He was talking about you guys. I mean, do you think that your generation is, uh, is, is arrogant and smearing and, or do you think this is what you're supposed to do? Um, I think this is what we're supposed to do. You know, we are, you know, 17, you know, you know 15 to 18 years old. We're, we're smart enough, we um, know our opinions, and we know what we want, and we know that this affects us personally. And I think us, with our voices loud and clear, showing elected officials and people that we want change, I think I don't think that's boastful or arrogant at all. I think it's showing that we want our voices to be heard and we deserve to be respected. Now, you've zeroed in, both of you, and really a lot of them on guns yes. and gun access. And, and you and I chatted before um, we started taping. Mm -hmm. um, you're Muslim, you live in Chapel Hill, you, yes. you had friends, family friends in your community that were killed yeah. just three years ago in, in, a, in another sort of random shooting. Um, is, is guns the answer, is access to guns the biggest problem or do you think we need to be looking at um, 
securing and doing better security at the schools? I think both. So first and foremost, we have to prevent people who shouldn't be able to get guns not to be able to get guns. And secondly, security at school, yes, I believe and strongly support that idea. Um, it, was, it was a scary time three years ago when we had that gunman on UNC campus just three miles from my home shot and killed three Muslim students who were family friends of mine. And it, we didn't go to school that day. My brother and I didn't go to school that right. day. And I think that um, it's, we're not being arrogant. We're asking for our most fundamental right as human beings. We want safety at school. That's not being boastful. That's not being arrogant. That's asking for one of the most basic human rights that our country, our wonderful country, has provided us with the opportunity to have. Right. So what's next? I mean, we've got, um, there's a couple of national um, events that I'm, I, I'll be curious to know if your schools and you individually are, are going to get involved. March the 14th, so that's just in a little over a week, the National uh, School Walkout Day, which is going to be 17 minutes um, uh, at 10 o'clock for the 17 victims. And then March 24th, the March for Our Lives, which is a, a large national uh, march in D.C. What's, uh, what's your plans? Um, so I know for sure that uh, me and a couple of my friends were all going to be um, going to traveling to D.C. for the March for Our Lives. And then along with that, a couple of students from our school working with a lot of other representatives from all around Wake County are organizing a, uh, another um, event called Why Wake Walks. And that's just going to be on April 20th, the anniversary of Columbine. And that's going to be a huge, we're trying to get as many people as possible just to come and keep fighting for school safety. You know, Wake County, I believe, is the biggest county in the state. It is. Uh, you know, getting that many people from all across the county that all feel so passionately that we need to be safe in schools and we deserve to not have to worry about if we're going to come home in the afternoon. You know, I think that many thousands of people all showing up and fighting for what we believe in um, is something that I'm really passionate about and I know that I'll be participating. This is real for you, right? I mean, this is, um, I mean, this isn't just a thing to do. Yeah, um, so on, I will be walking out on March 14th as well. Um, I have a lot of friends and faculty members whom I know, um, not just at my school, but around um, Orange County and Wake County that they will be going to Washington, D.C. for the march. And I'm honestly open to any other, like you said on the April 20th, if there are more organizations, if there are more marches, then I'm open to being involved in those kinds of things, yeah. Well, I, uh, like I said, I've been, I've been inspired watching the two of you and really, really watching all the students. I have a 17-year-old daughter myself, and um, um, your generation um, is a lot smarter than we are on some things, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, so thank you very much for being here. Thank you. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Bill Harrison, superintendent of the Alamance Burlington School System. I think too often we make decisions in school systems not even thinking about uh, those the school systems are, are here to serve. So I think it's important that I interact with, with students as frequently as I can, that I listen to them, 
uh, that they become comfortable with me, uh, that they become comfortable uh, taking risks and taking chances and, and helping us become a better place. We meet with two students from each of our high schools once a month. We, we talk about issues that they see, what can we do as a school system to help the system better meet their needs. And as part of that, we have one student each month comes and addresses our, uh, our Board of Education at the board meeting. And we've actually had some, some policy changes uh, made as a result of, of students speaking. Sometimes the, the board listens to, to students a little more closely than they listen to me. In these meetings, we talk about a really wide range of topics. We talked about bullying, mental health issues. Um, we also talked about how can a student have a relationship, you know, a more deeper student level relationship with a teacher. How can a teacher understand a student? And he also gives us insight into some decisions that he's making either in with the Board of Education or how he can help us. Uh, Teacher Leadership Academy is a collaborative, uh, collaborative effort with uh, Impact Alamance, which is a local foundation. Uh, where we bring 50 teachers together, one from each of our schools. Education does not exist in isolation. I think for a lot of teachers, um, including myself, education is the field that I know. And to go into the community and look at businesses and higher education and nonprofits, it really um, showed that education is a collaborative effort. Teachers, in many ways, get in their rowboat and they row out to their island every day. And our classroom becomes that island and we operate in this isolated environment. What I think the Teacher Leadership Academy provided is it showed that your classroom and your school is part of something that's so much bigger than what you imagine. I think Teacher Leadership Academy specifically encourages teachers to continue growing as learners as well. Um, so it's very inspiring and stimulating not to become stagnant in your profession. And with that knowledge, you can take it back into the classroom and apply it how it's relevant to your students. I think public schools at its core is about giving young people the opportunity to have access to their dreams. And I think adults dream as well. So I think you know, we need to exemplify that we truly are a learning organization. So not only are our students learning, our teachers are learning, our principals are learning, and our superintendent is learning. If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website at ncforum.org and click on Education Matters and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. few personal thoughts for my final word. This week America has 4.4% of the world's population but owns half of the world's guns. Violent crimes aren't more common here than in any other country, but we have six, six times as many firearm homicides as Canada and 16 times as many as Germany. Public mass shootings are uniquely terrifying because they occur without warning in the most mundane places. The last three occurred in a high school, a church, and an outdoor music festival. The fact is the United States stands alone in the developed world as the only country where mass shootings occur with considerable frequency. I hope we never get to the point where we simply accept that mass shootings at schools, or anywhere for that matter, are just going to happen. Part of me feared we were already there and at that point, but the activity we've seen over the last three weeks particularly by young people like these two students who came on the show today, give me hope. So what should we do? 
I cannot accept that one of the first answers to protect our students from mass shootings is arming teachers. Honestly, I struggle with the fact that this is a serious policy pro proposal, but it is. Um, I also don't think we should turn our public schools into armed prison camps either. Certainly there are reasonable steps we can and should take to improve school security. Let's explore them, but let's also not ignore the role that easy access to guns plays either. It's time. Now next week we're going to have the second of two consecutive shows focused on this very important topic on how to protect our children. Next week we'll focus primarily on the policy proposals. I hope you'll turn, tune in. So thanks for watching and we'll see you next week.